go. Genesis 22. Hard to believe, but we are coming to the end of Abraham's story. I think we have this week and next week, and then we're going to have to talk about Isaac, and uh, he's a totally different character than Abraham. And today, we actually discuss probably the most well-known story of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Uh, if you've ever gone through Sunday school or taught kids, this is the story you t- typically teach them. So very important story that we're going through today. But I want us to go back. I talked about this a few weeks ago. And I want us to start thinking again about tests. Tests. Abraham's whole life has been tests. Test after test after test. God throwing things at him and Abraham dealing with them. And we've seen him pass some. He waited on the Lord. He did that righteously. He begged for Lot's life. He saved Lot, pulled, got him pulled out of Sodom. You know, the Lord listened to him and did what he asked. We've also seen Abraham fail tests. Uh, lie about who his wife is. Get her almost sold off into, you know, the life that she shouldn't have had. Not treat her as a princess. We've seen Abraham go back and forth. And so as you read this story, we have to understand, we don't know what Abraham's going to do. I mean, we do because we've read this story before. But in some sense, we almost shouldn't. He could almost go either way here. There's a very real chance he's going to fail this test. Right? But test, test. Um, so a test, I think we've talked about this before, but a test is an outside circumstance. Something that God is giving you that is beyond your control. It's out of our control. It's not something we have any say over. And more often than not, they seem unreasonable or illogical. We end up asking ourselves, this? Really, God? This, right now, this is what I have to deal with? Of all the things in the world, I have to deal with this? Because it's so unbelievable that this is what would come into our lives. And they're tailor-made for us specifically. These are the stories that we go and we tell other believers, and it just becomes jaw-dropping, wow, look at what God has done in my life. Because they're so specific for us, we almost cannot believe that he gave us this to deal with, and then he walked us through it. He walked us through it because that's who God is. That's what God does. And we get to tell people, you will never believe what God did in my life. You will never believe. And we all have those stories. I have some of them myself. I just got through a test that I've been dealing with, and I've been struggling with my wife for a year and a half that he's been putting me through this, and I had to walk faithfully with him. And we've all had these things. And we all have to realize that this is God's refining process. He uses these tests to make us better, to bring out the best in us, to make us more in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, because that is what he wants. That is our purpose. And after we finish these tests, it doesn't feel like it when we're going through them, but at the end of these tests, we feel gratitude and we feel that we've been changed. We are done. We are different people. We're not the same as we used to be. Now, these tests, they also tend to happen daily. There's little tests, little tests that we tend to miss. And to be quite often, to be quite honest, we often fail. We fail these little tests. It happens, right? We do something wrong. Uh, Maybe someone gives you the wrong change at the store. And if you've ever seen internet videos, you know, people tend to scream at at the cashier, yell at them, demand to get upset and angry. That person just, just failed the test, right? They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Maybe, maybe you get cut off in traffic. You ever have that happen? And all of a sudden, you're just instantly so enraged and angry. And, and then you realize, wait a minute, why am I so upset, right? I've just been cut off in traffic. That's a little test. 
That's a little test. These moments where we have to be gracious and these opportunities where we, we need to handle the pride that's been buried in our hearts, pride that we're not even aware of, that he's bringing out and making us aware of. Right? We have those all the time, every day. And we have to be aware of these little tests because they train us for the big tests. And that's what we got to talk about today, the big tests. Because big tests are different. Big tests are not the little things that we can laugh about. Big tests are not the little things that stand-up comedian's going to come here and do a five-minute bit on. There are things that we take and we just go, why, God, why? Why am I doing this? Why are we going through this? Big tests are hard. Big tests are different. Because eventually, God is going to ask something of you. He is going to give you more than you think you can handle. And he's going to drive you to your knees to make you come to him. He's going to give you that big test. It's going to be something you are not strong enough to handle on your own. And it's going to take something from us. He could take someone from us. He could give us a disease or something that we can't deal with. It's going to be a life-changing situation. And these are the big tests that we have to talk about today. Because today, Abraham is going to face the biggest test of his life. The biggest test of his life. And we've seen him pass tests. We've seen him fail tests. So in a literary sense, we should go into this open-minded. We don't know what he's going to do. There's a good chance he could pass, yay, and there's a good chance he could fail. We've got to keep that in mind, because that's us. And that leads me to my big question today. My big question, how do we overcome these tests that he gives us? How do we overcome them? How do we get through these big, life- altering moments. How do we deal with them? Because some of us, some of us are going through these tests right now. Some of us are in the middle of this right now. And we need direction. Some of us might be coming out of the other side of these tests. He's bringing us to the other side. We finally get to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Some of us are probably headed into tests that we don't see yet. And it's coming. He doesn't let us stay content for long. It's coming. But I think if we start looking at some principles that we can pull from Abraham, we can learn how to deal with these tests. How do we deal with these things? So let's start by seeing Abraham's tests. Uh, chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let's put this in perspective. Abraham has waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac. 25 years. A quarter, half of our lives. He's waited for this son to be born. Isaac is the son God promised him. He held on to that promise for 25 years. And he finally got his boy, his miracle child, that he got to hold in his hands and laugh over and be joyous and grateful. Right? Isaac is his wife's joy. It's what probably brings his life more joy than anything. It's his joy. He held that baby in his arms. 
He watched him grow up. Isaac is closer to probably 13 years old, if not older at this point in time. It's his joy. He watched him learn, grow and learn to walk and learn to talk and do all those things. And Isaac is his irreplaceable son. It's said three times. That builds emphasis in uh, the Hebrew. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, whom you love, and go sacrifice him to me. And notice, when we go through the rest of this, God doesn't speak again. He tells him, go do it, and then he's quiet. He's sitting back and he's watching Abraham to see if Abraham's going to do it. God does not give him further instructions. God does not tell him what's going to happen. God does not encourage him. God gives him no assurances that everything's going to be okay. God does not do any of those things. He is silent. And when we go through these big moments, it can often feel like to us that God is being silent, that God has left us, that God has abandoned us. And it could not be further from the truth. That could not be further from the truth, as we will see. Now, we also might be asking, why? Why? Not why is in what the final outcome is. Not that why. The final why for there is Abraham's sanctification. It's our sanctification. But why this? Right? Why this? Why would, what is this going to prove for anything that Abraham goes up and sacrifices Isaac? Why this test right now? Why me, God? Why this? Why now? Well, because God tests three things. God tests three things. He tests our faith, he tests our hope, and he tests our love. Hopefully you saw that coming. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. God tests our faith. Do we have faith in God? Do we have faith in God, or do we have faith in the world? Does Abraham... Does he believe that God can do what he needs to do to fulfill the covenant? Or does Abraham believe that Isaac is going to fulfill the covenant? Do we? Do we have faith that God is going to see us through our tests and our trials? Or do we have faith that our job is going to see us through? Our health is going to see us through? Our family members are going to see us through? Where have we placed our faith? Where is our faith? And when we say in the easy times, yeah, my faith is in God. I believe him fully and surely and completely. Then God says, prove it. And he takes it away from you. And he gives you a big test. All right, you say your faith is in me? Prove it. He's testing your faith. And are we willing to trust his perfect will? His perfect and pleasing will. Because our faith is in him, not in the world. Next, God tests our hope. Hope has to do with how we see the future. What's coming later for us. What we believe and think about the future that God has in store for us. Abraham. Does Abraham's future depend on Isaac? The only hope he has is in this little boy growing up to be a big man. Is that where his hope is? Or is his hope in God, who gave him Isaac, who promised him a covenant, and promised him descendants? Where is Abraham's future? Where is his hope dependent on? And where's ours? 
Is my future, is my hope dependent on my health? I can only be happy if I'm healthy. I can only be happy if I have a job. I can only be happy if such and such and such. Can I be happy? Can I be hopeful about the future if all I have is God? And this is, this is big. We have, this next year, an incredibly contentious election coming. It's election season already, hard to believe. Seems like we just got out of one. Where's our hope? Can we only have hope if our party wins? Can we only have hope if this is in charge? Or do we have hope that God is in charge? That he's going to take care of it? Young people, young people are going through a huge existential crisis because we've told them the planet is dying and they have no hope. Because their hope is some reason in the planet. That's not where our hope should be. Our hope should be in the Lord, in God, who made the planet. Where is your hope? Again, in the easy times, we say, yeah, I hope in the Lord. Yeah, the Lord is awesome. He's great. And God looks at us and says, okay, prove it. Prove it. Show me where your hope is. And he's going to test your hope. And finally, God tests our love. Our love, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, with a single-minded, determined, laser-like focus. Everything you have, everything you are, everything pointed at the Lord, loving Him completely and totally in its entirety. And when you do that, then we can get to the second commandment. But you've got to keep the first commandment first. Where is your love? Is it on the Lord? Abraham, does he love the Lord? Or does he love Isaac, his joy, his laughter, the one that made, he got to see grow up, right? My kids are a huge blessing in my life. But if I love them more than I love the Lord, that's a sin. That's wrong. The Lord has to be first. Does Abraham love Isaac more than he loves the Lord? What about us? Do we love something more than we love the Lord? Single-minded, determined, laser-like focus. Love the Lord. Our parents, our children, our pets, our job, our health, our money, our house, our car. Is that more important to us than God? Because rest assured, eventually, God will take all of it from you. Eventually, he will. Job Job says, naked I came into this world, naked I leave it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Eventually, this will be what you have to prove. Do you love the Lord? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? We came into this world with nothing, we will leave with nothing. The history of Christianity is a history of men and women like Fanny Crosby, whose song we read today, who were arrested, who were imprisoned, who were tortured, who were brutally murdered, who had the most horrible things in their lives happen to them, and they stayed faithful. So, are we willing to sit in a prison cell? Richard Wurmbrand spent 20 years in a communist prison cell with nothing, awaiting his next torture session. Are we willing to sit in that prison cell, knowing another session of torture is coming, and simply cry out our love to the Lord because we love him more than anything else? 
because he is sufficient for us. He is all we need. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it's enjoyable. But I'm saying he is sufficient. I'm saying Jesus Christ is enough. The first step, so the first answer to my question, how do we get through these tests? The first step to getting through these tests is to recognize them as tests. These are tests. These are tests. These are, these are not uh, unbelievable, amazing things that have happened to you or, or horrible, nightmarish things that you'll never get through. They're tests that God is giving you to test your faith, hope, and love and to give you a chance to reflect on those to see if they are in the right spot. Have you built an idol in your life that you need to tear down and get rid of and focus back on the Lord? These are tests that he has given us. Next, we start walking through what Abraham does. What Abraham does. Let's start with verses 3 through 5. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. And the Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So first of all, without hesitation, early the next morning, early the next morning, Abraham rises, he gets up, gets prepared to go kill his son, to do what God has asked him to do. We can't paint it any other picture, to go kill his son, to sacrifice him. He doesn't look for explanations. He doesn't try to find a way out of this. He doesn't try to scheme his way out of it. We've seen Abraham scheme before. We've seen him lie about who his wife is. He has that natural inclination, that bent to not do what God knows good God wants him to do. But he doesn't do that here. He gets up immediately and goes and does it. He's not trying to scheme his way out. He faces the problem that God has given him. He faces this test with assurance. Notice a key word, a key word in verse 5, verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and, and here it is, ready? And we will come back. We will come back. Abraham never seems to have doubted God. From the very moment, he knows we're both coming off of this mountain. We will both come off of this mountain. Abraham fully expects both him and Isaac to come back down. He is completely trusting in the Lord. And what's he trusting in? Well, he believes he's going to go kill his son. And he believes fully and totally in its entirety that God will resurrect Isaac. Abraham's faith is completely and entirely and totally in a resurrection. Hopefully that sounds familiar, because our faith, our hope, is completely, entirely, and totally in a resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knows, right? Look at what's written in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God 
was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham believed, fully believed and expected the resurrection. Fully believed and expected and therefore depended on a resurrection. Because I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to be Abraham coming off this mountain seeing Sarah without Isaac again. He'd be in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. He depended completely, that's a joke, right? He depended completely and totally on a resurrection. And so do we. So do we. This is our second answer. This is our second answer. Calm assurance. Calm assurance because we also fully expect and fully depend on a resurrection. We have nothing else. Nothing to God do I pray. Nothing to God except my sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is all we can cling to. And it's all we need to cling to. He is sufficient. He is the firm foundation. He is our guide. He is our salvation. And no matter what else happens, no matter what else God gives us or throws at us, we are safe in the direction of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In times of tests, look to him. Look to what God has already done for you. Namely, primarily, and most specifically, putting his son on the cross, which is all we need. That is sufficient for us. That is all we need. We also see Abraham completely trusting in God's provision. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar, upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you imagine for just a moment what has to be coursing through Abraham's mind right now? Can you imagine for just a moment everything in Abraham's body must be screaming at him to stop, not to do this. Stop, you can't do this. Sarah, if she doesn't kill him, she's never going to speak to him again, right? He will never be able to go home. His descendants, the line that God has promised, will be gone. He will have no future. There will be nothing there for him. He will have to live with the murder of his son for the rest of his life. And these people live for a long time. Abraham's got another 50 years to go. And all this time, God hasn't said another word. Hasn't said another word. Is this really what he's supposed to be doing? Is this really what God said? Everything in Abraham has to be screaming, Stop! Stop! Don't do this! But Abraham can't trust his feelings. He knows what Jeremiah tells us. The heart is the greatest of deceivers. 
He knows he can't trust his feelings. He has to do what God has told him to do. And we see a man who can't trust the people around him. He left the servants behind because I bet they would have stopped him. They wouldn't have let him do this either. He doesn't tell Sarah that she wouldn't have let him do this. You're crazy, man. You ain't doing this with my baby. Uh-uh. Right. You sleep in the other tent now. So he didn't trust other people. He didn't trust himself. He trusted God fully and completely. We see a man, we see Abraham trusting God completely and fully because Abraham knows God has brought them up this mountain and God will bring them back down this mountain. God has given us this test. He has put this test in front of us and God will see us through this test. We are both coming down this mountain. We will return. We will get through this. Not because of anything I am, not because of anything I have, but because of God. Because He will go with us. He will provide. In our tests, we must also realize that the world around us offers no help. That is not where we should help. Our heart is the worst of liars. The worst of liars. Do not listen to your heart. It is never wise to make big decisions in times of testing. It's not going to go well. You must be patient and you must wait on the Lord. I told you I was having this test for about a year and a half now. I have worked with the most negative, horrible person I've ever had to deal with. And I had to love him while he had no problem attacking and terrifying me and making me want to go to work any day, right? And all I told Amber every day is, I just want to quit my job. I just want to do it anymore. I just want to go home. I just don't want to do it anymore. Well, quit, let's move. Let's move to Montana. Let's move someplace else. And all she could say was, be patient. Wait. Be patient. Wait. Your heart is a liar. He's not telling you the truth. Do not make those decisions in times of testing. Expertise and experience, people that we pay to help us, their experiences, our own experiences, they will fail. These are God's tailor-made tests for each of us that you have to go through, that I have to go through individually. Only God, only God fully understands what we are going through. And only God can fully see us through to the other side. Only God, only God. That's the next part of our answer. When we are tested, focus on the provision God gives us currently. Matthew 6.35 do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Focus on the strength he gives you for today. Seek the provision of now. The mercies are of now. His mercies are new every day. Focus on the glories that God gives you and God reveals to you now. Look to his provision now. Rely on his strength now. Write the Lord's Prayer. Give us this Day, our daily bread, our this day, one day at a time, one day at a time. That's how we live with the Lord. That's how we are promised we can live, and that's how we get through tests. One day at a time. Just keep going. Next, I want us to notice that the test is solved perfectly. Perfectly. Verses 11 through 14. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Things go off perfectly. They end up on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. This is exactly where God told them to go. This is exactly where God led them. This was never out of God's hands. This was never out of his sight. God had not abandoned Abraham. Couldn't be further from the truth. He'd been with him this whole time. Been with him this whole time. Caring over him. Watching him. Abraham stops perfectly on time. Any sooner, if he doesn't have Isaac bound and up on that altar, any sooner, I think we still have to question, was he really going to do it? Was he really fearing the Lord? Was he really fully committed? He waited right to that last second, perfectly on time. Just not on the schedule we would like. Just not on the schedule Abraham wanted to see, but on God's timing. And the only one who seeks God's will is tested. There's no test for non-believers here. We don't see that anywhere else. So when you are tested and you see them as tests, rest assured you are being tested because you are in God's will, because he loves you. And the test is solved in seemingly natural ways. Seemingly natural ways. God provides the sacrifice. A ram, how long has it been there? Stuck in the thicket, we don't know. He just turns around and there's a ram behind him. A beautiful, perfect ram to be sacrificed. And that's not something Abraham could have done. Abraham could have never put that ram in the thicket. Abraham could have never gotten him stuck. But God could. God had already had it set. God had already had that ram on that path that day to get him in that thicket. God controls the world. And he controls everything within it. And he's already working towards the solution. He's already got it planned. Romans 8.28, if it's not a light verse, I encourage you to make it one. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He's working all things out for our good. And the test glorifies God. Abraham comes off of this mountain and he has nothing to brag or boast about. Nothing. Well, I guess he has one thing. A mighty God. A powerful God. God is revealed in the success. He gets to go tell his other people, right? Other people, you will never believe what God did for me today. You will never believe it. And when he passes the test, he's given something else. The covenant is renewed. Let's look at verses 15 through 24. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing. I will bless you and multiplying. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. 
In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah, who has also born children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Chemo the father of Aram, Chezed, Hazor, Pidash, Jibla, and Bethulah, and Bethulah begot Rebekah. Rebekah, that's the important one. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was Rima, also bore Teba, Gehom, Tash, and Makah. We're going to talk about that genealogy here in a second, right? But a covenant is renewed. Abraham is given all of these blessings, all these new things. First of all, he's given a new approval. The one thing that I hope every one of us is living for. The one thing he is told, well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. That's all we need. That's all we hope for, to get to go to heaven Scoop, I just a big hug by Jesus and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. For a complete screw-up like Abraham, who has done nothing right, right, for years and years and years, for a complete screw-up like me, who can never do anything right, right? Abraham basically sold his wife into prostitution twice. Twice he did it, right? This has to mean a lot. Well done. Abraham's given a new son, not new literally, but Isaac, who he believed fully to be dead, he was going to go sacrifice him. Isaac has been resurrected. Again, figuratively, if not necessarily literally. He's been brought back from the dead. Abraham gets him a new son. That comes with an appreciation for his son. There has to be a new appreciation there. Now it's appreciation in light of God's promises. God will take care of Isaac. Not Abraham. Abraham will do his best. He will be a good steward, as God has called him to be. But God will take care of Isaac. And God will take care of the covenant. God will see his plan fulfilled. Abe is given new assurances, a new light to God's power. After we pass a test, we should see even better what God is able to accomplish. Wow, look at what he did for me. Look at what he did in my life. Wow. And once again, we can only look upon his majesty and be amazed. For now, just brief glimmers, just brief moments, but we hold on to know that we will see someday in full. And for all eternity, we'll get to sit there and just be amazed at who he is, at who God is. A new light to God's promises. To God's promises, a successful test turns us more into the image of Jesus Christ. We fall back more into loving and trusting and believing God. More into the image of Jesus Christ. And this results in a closer, more complete walk with the Father. We are becoming who we are meant to be. The image of His Son. We are becoming who we are meant to be. And through all of this, we get a new name for God. A new name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. We have a new appreciation, a new love for God and his provision for us. And finally, Abe is given a new hope, something else to think about for the future, right? There's this random genealogy in there. Well, this seemingly random genealogy has one very important person, Rebecca. Rebecca, that's Isaac's wife. This is grandkids. This is descendants. This is what's coming next. 
Look to the future. It's my final solution for today. My final solution. How do we get through these tests? Look toward the future. Look to what God has got planned for us. I'm not saying we solve all our problems immediately. Live in the moment. Be in the day. Strength for today. But know and depend and rest upon what he's going to do for us, what he's giving us. We look to the future by recognizing God's promises for us. God's promises for us and what he tells us he will do for us, that we are saved in the resurrection. Live day to day. Live in the moment. Seek his strength daily, but depend. Look up at God at what he can do and know that a test is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Okay, so that's the narrative. That's chapter 22. But the final piece we have to see in all of this is Christ. This is one of the clearest signs of Christ in the Old Testament. It is abundantly obvious and clear. Signs and shadows are almost thrown completely out the window. This is obviously a sign and symbol for Jesus Christ. You have a father and a son who love each other. Love each other completely and fully. Abraham's heartbreak is the same as, seeing, as God seeing Jesus upon the cross. God had to turn his back and forsake his son had to forsake his son, the one he had had an eternal, perfect, loving relationship forever. He had to forsake him so that we could be adopted. This is a sacrifice that can't be replaced by anything. Abraham couldn't put anything else up on that altar for it to matter. Sarah wouldn't have done the trick. His young men wouldn't have done the trick. His tents, his sheep, his wealth wouldn't have mattered. Isaac is the one thing that could go on that altar to matter. Jesus Christ is the only thing that can go on that cross to matter. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross as a substitution for us. It's the only thing that matters. We see a great burden placed on the sacrifice on Isaac. Go back into the narrative and notice the writer's preoccupation with the wood. The wood is mentioned... Uh, Five times, verse 3, verse 6, verse 7, and again twice in verse 9. Wood. Abraham chops up this wood. He takes all this wood, and what's he do? He puts it on Isaac. And Isaac, the sacrifice, has to carry that wood up the mountain. Well, our sacrifice also carried a large piece of wood up the mountain. There's a great burden placed on that sacrifice. And the wood, the cross, is the least of it when we consider the burden of our sin. The wood is our sin more than it is the cross. Our sin is the burden that we place upon that sacrifice. We have a suffering father and a suffering son which is quickly turned into rejoicing. Yes, after the crucifixion, the disciples did mourn. But that mourning turned into such great rejoicing. Behold, the tomb is empty. He has risen. Morning turned to joy on the morning of the third day. And finally, notice, this is really cool when I read this, notice that Isaac isn't mentioned again once he is on the altar. So the last time you see him, 
is up here in verse 9. He bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar. That's the last time he's mentioned. In fact, when Abraham goes back down in verse 19, so Abraham returned to his young men. You could almost believe that he came by himself, that he left Isaac up on that mountain. Isaac isn't mentioned again. Isaac is gone out of this narrative, and he's gone until the end of chapter 24. And I'm going to post this. I bet you my wife knows, because she knows everything. Right? Do we know what's happening at the end of 24? The marriage. He's marrying Rebecca. Isaac is gone. Isaac, who stands in for Christ, who is the Christian, who is the Christ representative, is gone from the narrative until he comes back to claim his bride. He comes back to claim his bride. And Jesus will come back to claim his bride, the church. The, the, the signs and symbols of this is a clear, obvious point towards Christ. Clearly, this connects the Old Testament and the New Testament. All the tests we face in this life, every one of them, big, little, whatever, are designed to point us to the cross of Jesus Christ, to get us to the cross, to focus on him who died for us, and to turn our hearts, to turn our hearts to him and to give him the glory he deserves. So in conclusion, I can find four principles that we need to remember when facing tests in life. First, recognize them as tests. Recognize them as tests. Understand that God is at work in your life and he will not let you be complacent. He will not leave you there. He is going to refine you. Second, remember what God has done in the past for you already. Specifically, of course, Jesus Christ on the cross. Of course, Jesus Christ on the cross. Third, take it one day at a time. Focus on the strength God gives us for the day, on his daily provision. Give us this day, our daily bread. But finally, while focusing on the strength for today, look to what God has promised us. For what God has promised us. Hold to the promise of Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We suffer now because great, great, far greater glory is coming. It's coming. Hold on to that. And finally, remember, Remember that all tests are designed to point us back to the cross of Jesus Christ, the single most important thing, person, piece of any of it, of all of our lives, Jesus Christ, who deserves and is worthy of all glory, all honor, and all praise, because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who as a spotless sacrifice came to take the sin of the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.